I've always wanted to write a book, but to be honest with you, I have no writing skills. I just don't. But I've had this idea for years to write this book, and since I have no skills to write, I thought, well, let's just see what it would sound if I preached it to you. Usually on Sunday mornings, we go through books of the Bible. We just finished Revelation, and in the fall, we're starting Song of Solomon. Today we're going to do something different. We're going to, to present something to you that may not sound like our normal Sunday morning preaching, so, so bear with me. It may be a, little, a, a lot more choppy than it normally is, but it is a topic that I've been ready to talk about with you for years. And here's the topic, and put it up. The trivial life. Exploring and escaping the default mode of the human heart. What does that mean? We'll get into it. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we know that there is so much suffering in this world. This world is filled with violence, hatred, poverty, injustice. It's filled with racism, immorality. It's filled with so much filth. And it even seems ridiculous that we would occupy ourselves with that which is trivial when the world needs us to show compassion, love, grace, mercy. But when we're caught up in that which is trivial and pointless and fruitless, I just ask that you would wake us up so that we can engage this world with things that matter and live lives of meaning for your glory. And I ask you to do something here right now. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to start off with a very controversial statement. Are you ready? Bowling is trivial. Now, don't be offended. I'm not talking about uh, taking your kids to a birthday party or an adult. I'm not talking about going to have fun, bowling, not talking about that. I'm not even talking about professional bowlers. Play on, play on. I'm talking about the person who is consumed with bowling. That's all I think about. Maybe this is you. I doubt it. But if it was you... If it was you, um, you may buy several different balls, like a, a Spider-Man ball, a rhino ball, a glow-in-the-dark ball, an alien ball, for all occasions. And once you have your ball, you've got to get the holes drilled, okay? So you've got to figure out the center of gravity and where you're going to be bowling and, and, and all that your events are going to be. So you've got to get the holes drilled on all your balls. But, you know, you for sure... You for sure have to have um, clothes. That's the most important thing. You see, you got to have something that kind of stretchy pant thing, and yet at the same time, it's going to be hip cool. And you spend all your time going on eBay trying to find vintage bowling clothes. You're consumed with having the right outfit. So once you have the balls and you got the holes drilled and you have the vintage clothes, uh, you need shoes. Shoes are key with the interchangeable soles. And depending upon which lane you're going to be on for which day, you've got to have them with the right type of slide. 
So you take all of this gear and you chunk it in this high dollar roller bag and, and you're, ready to, you're ready to go, right? Except that you need a good coach. And after years and years of trying different coaches, you finally land on one. So you have your coach, you have your gear, and you're, you're, you're traveling all over the place and you're just consumed with bowling so much so that you're neglecting your family, you're neglecting your friends, uh, you're, you're neglecting your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You're, you're not going to church because you are consumed with bowling. In fact, your, your phone is sending you alerts on what is going on in the bowling world. Your ringtone is pins being knocked over. You are in bowling. It's your thing. It's your life. Would we all agree that that is psycho bowling? That is just crazy. Who would ever be into bowling that much where it takes time away from the important things in life and the important matters in life? That is the epitome of living the trivial life. Right there. That's an extreme example of living the trivial life, the bowler. Let's contrast that for a moment. Let's contrast that for a moment with a few years ago. I had this bowling ball on my lap, but it wasn't a ball. It was someone's head. You see, a few years ago, I went down to Haiti, and I wanted to visit uh, this married couple, Chris and Hal. And they ran this orphanage called His Home. And I wanted to meet them and see what their life was like. And they, uh, you know, how he ran the business aspects of the 35 staff members. And Chris was a nurse and a motherly figure who took care of the kids. And they didn't just help at the orphanage. They lived there with the kids. And when I was with them, I remember eating at their dinner table. A kid came in with an IV. I mean, it was, they were like 24 hours a day. But then Chris took me. She said, hey, you want to go with me? to our special needs area, we have to give some haircuts. I'm like, I don't know anything about haircuts. She goes, no, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to cut hair. You just need to hold the kids. So we went to the special needs, and they're, they're bringing the kids to me one by one. And she's shaving their heads down to the scalp, and I'm just holding these kids. But it was the kids who had a hydrocephalic I didn't know what to do with She said, now, be very careful. And she said this, their heads are like bowling balls. And she wasn't joking. She put these little kids on my lap, and, and their, their heads sometimes weigh four times what their body weighs. And their necks are in pain. It's called, you know, it's, maybe you've heard it called water on the brain. Humongous heads, and so I'm holding these kids, and, and Chris is so patient. She's shaving their, their hair down to the scalp because they, need, they still need haircuts. I was just there for 24, 48 hours, and I watched the work they were doing. I don't know a lot of things in life, but I can tell you this. What the bowler is doing is way extreme over here of the trivial life. And what Hal and Chris are doing with what they call bowling ball heads, far more significant. We, we, we would all agree with that, wouldn't we? We would all agree. 
that they're living a life that's important, that's caring, that's compassion. So here's, here's my question for you, okay? I give you this ball. I say, okay, here's the spectrum from the bowling to the bowling ball heads. Where do you want to place your ball on the spectrum, okay? I mean, are you closer to the, the boulder or over here? Like, where does your life land? Because a lot of us can look at Hal and Chris and go, that is noble. That is important. I like that. In fact, I would like to be involved in things in our city, in our world, that is caring and kind and compassionate. I want my life to matter and have significance. But if we're, we're honest, which we should be, and if I'm honest, I find my life leaning this direction more than I would like to admit. Is there anybody with me? Anybody with me intellectually? Oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of, I want to be closer to that way. But with what we do with our day and our time and our money and our thoughts, we're leaning more this direction. At least, at least I find myself. Here's the question we're going to ask this summer. and put it up for you. Why does your life trend toward that which is trivial? Why? Think about it. Why does your life trend toward that which is trivial? Think about it. And here's the answer. And this is what we're going to get at all summer. Because the default mode of the human heart is toward triviality. That means unless there is intentional action it's always going to default to that which is trivial. I know some of you have computers, probably every single one of you, and your computers have settings which will operate under the default mode unless directed by you to do otherwise. So will your life. If you, if you, if you ask, well, why do I keep going in the direction of pursuing that which is trivial? And the answer is, it's easy. <laughs> Unless you intentionally take steps to do something to go the other direction, you're going to continue to default to that which is trivial. And the world that is suffering will not see your presence. But what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if there was some kind of workaround? What if there was a, a reset? What if there's something that could be done in us that changes us where we don't keep defaulting back to that which is trivial. That's exactly what we're going to talk about this summer. How to push back against the trivial life and start to live lives of meaning and purpose. And what we're going to find is that all of this starts in the heart. Did you know in the Bible, the word heart is mentioned about uh, 900 times? And in the book of Proverbs, the word heart is mentioned 77 times. And, and when the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about the core of who you are. It's your thoughts, it's your motives, your emotions, your personality, and the spiritual part of your makeup. Your heart is what makes you you. Let me just throw up a verse here. Don't turn to this one. We'll turn to the next one. Let me throw this up for you. Proverbs 27, 19 says, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of a man reflects the man. 
When we talk about getting to know someone better, what we mean is we're getting to know their heart and who they are. When you hear me talk about heart today, think about it. It's who you are at your core, at your core of who you are. So let's go ahead and turn to a passage now. Proverbs 4.23, you can find it uh, in your Bible in the middle there somewhere. And this is going to be our launching verse. We're going to keep coming back to Proverbs 4.23. For those of you who have the ESV, it's going to read this way. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. For those of you with the NIV or more familiar with the NIV, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. From the heart springs forth the activities of your life. The heart shows your character and your actions. If I was to sit down and explain what you do, it would often come back to your heart. And it's in your heart you can see you're bent toward triviality or away from it. Why do you look at the Bible? It's your heart. Why do you look at porn? It's your heart. Why do you meditate on Scripture? It's your heart. Why do you dream about winning the lottery? It's your heart. Why do you talk behind people's backs? It's your heart. Why do you compliment others? It's your heart. Why do you brag? It's your heart. Why are you so greedy? It's your heart. Why are you diligent? It's your heart. Why are you lazy? It's your heart. Are you you with me now? It's the core of who you are. Your heart of who you are will be expressed in your world, in your actions, in your attitudes, in your thoughts. Why you do what you do can be explained by your heart, which is springing forth. It's springing forth into your actions from your heart. The deal is, your heart is going to keep springing forth into the default mode of the trivial life because there's something messed up about us. Let me put the scripture up for you. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So there's something internally off about us. Our hearts are sick. They're filled with evil and they're deceitful. Who can understand it? So for those of you who just went through graduation and the speaker said, trust your heart, don't do it. And when you go to a a Disney movie and they say, trust your heart, scream out loud, don't do it. Right? There's something off within us. But hey, we're Christians, right? We're Christians. So there's no way that we're dominated by the overriding deceitful heart. And you're right. Because you know, when Jesus Christ invades our life through his life, death, and resurrection, we put our faith in him, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And the Bible describes that as getting a new heart taking out that old deceitful heart and putting in a new heart that's malleable. For example, in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." What that means is if you are a believer, you have a new heart, and that heart is soft and malleable and open to the Spirit's leading. So you can make choices now away from triviality, right? But here's the problem, and I don't want to get too theological on you. There's something still off, right? 
Call it the flesh? Call it indwelling sin? That makes us try to continue to go back to living these lives of triviality. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you now have a choice. You now have weapons at your disposal. You now have the Holy Spirit power to say no to going back to the trivial life and live a life of meaning and purpose. That's why this proverb says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That means you have to pay attention and guard what's going on inside your life and what you allow in. Let me put it to you this way. There was once this guy named John Flavel, and he used an example of guarding your heart, uh, guarding your heart akin to a besieged garrison with enemies on the outside and treacherous citizens on the inside. The imagery is dated, but the, the idea is good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run with a modern equivalent, an example that I've, I've shared with some of you before. And, and I'm just going to just be honest with you. And it's, it goes like this. So we're trying to guard what we allow out and guard what we allow in. So it's like this. Before I became a Christian, I had a frat house heart. No, no offense to good frats, but I had a frat house heart. And I, I partied. And there was no guard on my heart. So check this out. Foul language would come out. And foul language I would have let in. Anger would come out of my heart. It was unguarded. And I would let anger in. Sexual morality would come out and I would allow sexual morality and greed consume me. It would come out of my heart and I would allow it in. So it was an unguarded heart. It was like a fried house heart. So I'm 19, minding my own business living this frat house heart life, unguarded heart, doing what I wanted to do, letting stuff in, stuff's coming out. And in 19, Jesus invaded my life. And he came in and he demolished my frat house heart. And he got rid of it, dead, at the cross, crucified. And he gave me a new heart. And I like to call this new heart a White House heart. You think of the White House in, Amer in America? Probably one of the heaviest guarded homes in America, if not the world. Serious guards of what comes out and what goes in. So I have this new White House heart. And in the past, I would, I would tend toward the trivial life in all these areas, and there would be this conviction. No, no, we're not going to go there. And in the past, I'd let stuff in, and there'd be this conviction. No, no, we're not going to go there. And of course, you have that White House heart as well, and we're not perfect. But now that we have this new uh, White House heart, we can guard what we allow into our lives, and we can guard what shoots out of our lives because we've been transformed within. And your life will express itself from your heart in about four different ways. It'll be your words. It'll be your actions. It'll be your attitudes, and it'll also be your desires. So I want you to remember those things, okay? So from your heart, you'll have your words, 
you'll have your actions, you'll have your desires, and you'll have your attitudes. And then those four things that spring forth in your life will either have you going this direction toward the bowler, <laughs> the trivial life, or going the other direction, a life of significance. So let's just do a little, little, little thing right now. Let's talk about your words. What is coming out of your mouths these days? Are all of you proud of your words and what you say? Does anybody have any problems what's, with what's been gushing out of their mouths recently? Okay, just me. Just me. Proverbs 15:28 says, "The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. The heart of the wise person uses words that are timely, appropriate and wise, but his opposite is seen in the fool who gushes junk and triviality. Did you know that your words will reveal your heart condition? Your mouth will expose you. Your mouth will bust you. It will. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6.45. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You get that? Your heart will show you who you are through your mouth. I can look at your heart through your mouth. Your words will bust you and expose you for what is going on inside. So if you find that out of your mouth is coming words that are, that are harmful, that are hurting others, that are rude, that are wicked, you got to say, well, what's going on inside? What's going on inside? So your heart will express itself through your words, and you'll either go to the direction of the trivial life or a life of meaning and purpose. How about your actions? How about your actions? Your actions derive from your heart as well. Jesus put it like this, and I'll read it slowly so you can see this in Mark 7, 20-23. This is a powerful verse. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Your heart is the root issue of these evil and trivial behaviors. Do you see how it's important when you talk to someone, whether it's a counselor or a pastor or a friend, about some of the things that are going on in your life, do you see how it's important to not constantly be blame-shifting your problems? And I understand, I understand. Some of us have had difficult parents, uh, mothers or fathers. Some of us have had things happen to us that, that have been tragic. But if we're continually pointing the finger at them to explain why we do what we do, then we're going to continue to blame shift over and over again. I'm not saying that what happened to you was not hard and may have been even evil. But if we are going to change from the inside out, we have to also say, a lot of my words and my behaviors and actions 
are also springing forth from a heart that is not right. Let's get rid of blame shifting. We can talk through things. We can talk through our past in such a way that doesn't put the complete fault on others, but also has some ownership of what's going on in our lives right now. So that's our words. That's our actions. But what about our desires? Do our desires spring from our heart? Proverbs 6.25, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. <laughs> How about that? I'm going to read that to my sons. <laughs> Watch out for those eyelashes. This is a father instructing his son how to avoid adultery. He warns against letting the imagination go wild in his heart. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see that? How the, how the mind and the imagination and the eyes are coming from the heart? Lust happens in the heart. Messing around with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that, that, that happens in the heart. Re reading erotic novels, that happens in the heart. And, and those who commit adultery, it starts from the heart. See, these trivial desires spring from the heart. That's why you want to be guarding your heart. Know what's going on. You may be doing none of those things just yet, but there's something going on in your heart that's about to explode. And lastly, it's your attitudes. Your attitudes spring from your heart. For those of you who deal with pride or greed, uh, that's coming from your heart. If you're a proud person, that's, that starts from your heart. If you're full of greed, that's your heart. And, and envy, envy comes from the heart. Look at this verse on envy from Proverbs 23, 17. It says, let not your heart envy sinners. Do you see that? It comes from the heart. But continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. So we need to guard our hearts and our words and our actions and our desires and our attitudes. All these things spring forth from the heart, and many of them are trivial. But the whole point of this series is not just to explore the trivial life, but we also want to escape it. And I'm just going to kind of fade off here in the end by, by saying a few things we're going to elaborate more on in the weeks to come. But it goes like this. Our God, our God is not a trivial God. And he did not create us to live a trivial life. There's no way. He didn't create us to get so consumed with the sin of this world and we start ignoring the important things, the love and care and compassion toward others. But we've all gone astray. We've gone in search of our own ways down the road of rebellious triviality. But the good news is you've got to keep your mind yourself. This is the third time I've said it today that God has intervened. And he sent his son, Jesus, who died for us and changed us, put a new heart in us. And Jesus did not live a life of triviality. In fact, Jesus lived a God-consumed life. Will we all agree? We look at Christ. He lived a God-consumed life life. And he created us, saved us, filled us with the Spirit so that we would also live a God-consumed life in everything we say and everything we do. And the terminology that I'm going to give you that's going to contrast with the trivial life is something that I'm going to call 
the weighty life, the weighty life. And I don't want you to think in terms of physical weight, but I want you to think along the lines of things that are important and viable, that they carry much weight. In the Bible, God's glory is, is sometimes referred to in terms of weightiness. Did you know this? So the term glory or kabod in the Hebrew literally means heavy or weighty. So when you think of God and all of his attributes and all of who he is, you think heavy, heavy. God in all of his glory. He's important in the fullness of his weight. It's heavy. His, his magnitude far outweighs all. And it's this weighty life that he's created us to live where we can now give him glory and everything we do. Let me share some verses with you. Psalm 86, 9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall, there's the word, glorify your name. So honor and praise is to come to God to acknowledge him in all his glory and weightiness. Let me give you another one. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-three: You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. The idea, once again, is God is distinct from us. He's holy. He's glorious. And we are to live this weighty life that, that showcases God. A couple New Testament verses. One comes from 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is, that is more than a, a nice slogan or a bumper sticker or a magnet on your refrigerator. That means it is a light that you are to live and all that you do where you're living the weighty life, consumed with God, and you seek to honor him and bring him glory in all the different aspects. And the last verse comes from Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the weighty life is a, a God-consumed life. It's focused on him. It's trying to escape the trivial life by the power of the Spirit and start to do those things, think those things, have those attitudes that are more weighty and bring him glory. And, you, of course, you're on this spectrum, and if you find yourself way over here in the trivial life, caught up in things that are just silly, thinking about things that are just silly, and we have a world out there who doesn't know Jesus. We have a world out there who is suffering. We have a world out there that is harming one another. We want to move away from the trivial life and start to engage people at our work, in our families, in our neighborhoods, around the world who need Christ, people who need comfort, people who need the gospel, they need mercy. But if we're consumed doing our own little trivial pointless things over there, we're not going to see it. We're not going to see it. That's why we got to break away. We say, God, do something in me. Get me out of this silliness that I'm living. Get me out of this pointless stuff that I'm living. That's pointless. There's so much of this world who needs Christ. And if I'm doing my own silly, trivial stuff, I'm never going to give it to him. So back to our bowling ball. Back to our bowling ball way over here, and we have the trivial life of the bowler. And over there we have what we talked about earlier, the bowling ball hits. We have the trivial life and the weighty life, and we want 
to get some traction. We want to move there. And you would think, well, after one sermon, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to be over there automatically. Not the case. It's going to be slow. It's going to take you a while to start getting some traction because we've been stuck and we default this way all the time. So how do we get there? Well, have you ever seen kids bowl? Oof. It's not a pretty sight. Sometimes they chunk it over there. Sometimes they roll it over there. But oftentimes, the ball moves so slow. It's like, oh. And you're, if you're a parent, you're like, is that ball ever going to get there? And if it ever stops, don't walk out on the lane and you will slip, right? So the ball is like, slow, get going. That's what it's like. You're going to get some traction. You're going to get some movement. You're going to go, you want to go. This, and what you're hoping for is a strike, yeah? But sometimes you can end up in the gutter. Ah, get out of the gutter. Sometimes you can be all over the place. Sometimes you feel like the ball's stopped. And that's what it's going to feel like in this thing called sanctification and growth. But it starts with acknowledging, hey, I do default that way. I do default that way. And if you start to acknowledge that, and you're aware of that, self-awareness is so key right now. If you are aware that you default that direction, then you can start to transform your prayers and your accountability and say, God, do something in me to break out and escape this trivial life and start moving in a life that matters, that has purpose and brings you glory. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that you've created us for your glory. And we've all gone in search of our own things, our own glory. But thank you for saving us. Thank you for intervening. Thank you for giving us a uh, filling of the Holy Spirit so that we can live lives of meaning and purpose, the weighty life that brings you glory. And if we find ourselves overly consumed with things of this world that are trivial, Start doing a work in us today. Do a work in us through this communion time. Work in us by your spirit, the worship. Do something significant in us this morning that we can start this movement and start to gain traction and moving toward those things that matter and bring you glory in our day-to-day -day life and until we see you in glory. In Christ's name, amen.